0: This is People Every Day. Coming up, when you tell
1: me it's safe to take it,
0: I'll take it. Dr. Ayla Stanford helps break down the fears and the facts about vaccinations in the Black community. Plus, Demi Lovato shares more than ever before. It's February 18th. Hello, folks. This is People Every Day presented by Macy's. I'm your host, Janine Rubenstein, here to walk you through the top entertainment news and human interest stories this Thursday and hopefully provide a little escape from the cold and the craziness out there. My heart goes out to everyone being affected by the storms, especially in my grandpa's home state of Texas. Uh, There's a lot of news swirling around the fact that Texas Senator Ted Cruz was spotted heading out on vacation to Cancun in the midst of the disaster. But the focus should be on all of those everyday people being impacted and and unable to get a reprieve. So hoping things get better there soon. Later, in celebration of Black History Month and People's Why I'm Getting Vaccinated series, I talked to founder of Black Doctors COVID-19 Consortium, Dr. Ayla Stanford, who breaks down how she's dispelling fears and most importantly, helping save lives in the Black community. But before all that, there's a lot of entertainment news percolating out there. So joining me now to sift through it is music editor Melody Chu and senior writer Steve Helling. How are you guys?
2: Hi, Janine. Good, how are you?
0: Hi, I'm good. I'm good. Um, So before we go into our first story, I just like to give a a trigger warning for anyone who is dealing with substance abuse and eating disorders. Uh, We want to delve into the news that Demi Lovato is opening up like never before about what she went through in 2018. And Mel, you know, we covered this inside and out on the music team, Um, her overdose. And, you know, the stories were out there, we knew what happened, but now we're hearing from her
2: herself, right, Mel? Right. I mean, she, she has talked a little about it in the last nearly three years, but this is really the first time she's giving every single detail, and it's going to be in her um, documentary. And this is the third documentary she's actually done. Um, the last one was pretty revealing, but I think this one is entirely different. I mean, we're learning for the first time that um, how close exactly to death she was um, after the overdose. She still has brain damage. She doesn't drive because she has blind spots. She had a heart attack. She had multiple strokes. Um, and she couldn't read for a long time. It, it, it's a really, really um, harrowing situation that she's recounting.
0: And, and, and so what is she doing this for? Uh, it was a YouTube like clip. Um,
2: but there's going to be a, even more coming out of this, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's a YouTube docuseries directed by Michael Ratner, who's um, worked with people like Justin Bieber, who obviously is also signed with Scooter Braun, who is her new manager. And I think this is her way of sharing the narrative. Um, obviously, people have told the story for her in the last three years. And I think this is, you know, her way of also coping and healing and continuing to um, process everything and um, also just connect with her fans who have been wondering you know how is demi doing now
0: yeah how is she music wise uh like what has she been up to and how we know that she recently had a broken engagement um but but what's she up to like right now
2: she's working hard i mean she has new music coming out um she's working on a new album uh and and we asked her um, she did a brief press conference the other day and we asked her you know do you have regrets and she said no, she wouldn't change a thing. The aftermath of the overdose is obviously terrifying and so much work for her um, to process emotionally, physically. Um, but it, it's, they, they, she says these are lessons she had to learn to get to where she is. And she's proud of the spot she's at now.
0: Wow. Well, I, I'm hoping people can glean... Some hope from her story, um, because it like you said, it was harrowing. Uh, thanks, Mel. I, I want to talk about something that is just really bubbling up in the sports world that may be much ado about nothing, right, Steve so <laughs> when it comes to uh, Serena Williams walking away, is there any there there?
3: how are, Why are we talking about this? You know every time a an athlete doesn 't perform as well as we expect them to perform. And when they get to a certain age, everybody sits around and says, ooh, maybe this is the time they're going to retire. Maybe they're going to walk away. And so that's kind of what was happening with Serena Williams. You know, she's 39. Um, You know, she was, um, she had a, a loss against Naomi Osaka. And so then... The question started in the, in the press conference afterwards. You know, hey, does this mean that you're uh, gonna say farewell? You know, she'd done some sort of hand signal that people were reading into.
0: It it did it did seem kind of emotional. Let's take a listen really quickly to what she said. Um, I don't know if I if I ever say farewell, I wouldn't tell anyone. So yeah, so uh, pretty exactly what she said. She was like, "Why well, I wouldn't do that." But the thing is. In all of these sports interviews, you are getting people after they have left their entire everything on the court. (laughs) Like you, you, you go out there, you play your hardest, and then you come and you have to you have these barrage of questions. So what
3: are you thinking? Like, I've spent a lot of time with Serena Williams over the years. And, you know, she's just a passionate person. Her emotions are often on her sleeve. And, you know, that's even exacerbated when she's just lost. And the interesting thing about her is, it doesn't matter if she's lost for the first time or for the hundredth time, it hurts. And it hurts really badly. So I don't really think that her walking away from a pet press conference is that big of a deal. Um, she probably just didn't want to cry in front of everybody because she's that emotional when she doesn't win.
0: Well, I hope I get to, to see her play some more. Um, guys, Kim and Kanye, this ongoing relationship slash saga. This is our, our last top story. I want to talk about what we are hearing now out of Kanye's side of things. I feel like we've heard a lot and we've gotten sources at people that telling us where Kim's head is at, that being on the brink of divorce. We've reported on it. It's all but been confirmed by them. Um, but what is going on with Yay Mel, do you
2: have any insight into the, the new updates? Well, I think Kanye is processing this emotionally just as hard as Kim as I'm imagining. Um, Our sources are saying that it's, he knows he's losing this woman who's been by his side for years and years through everything. And it's a big loss.
0: And and Steve, you've reported on this a bunch too. Like, where are you feeling like his head is at? Because, you know, he has of course been in the news and in the ether um, and it's kind of been all over the place for him for a few years now. And we no, he suffers from mental illness as well so so where is he in all of this?
3: you know it's always hard to tell with Kanye, but in this case, from what we're hearing from everybody, is that it's starting to sink in. you know he hasn't been talking to Kim like he used to, um, and he's realizing that he's losing somebody who was very loyal, who was by his side, not just publicly but privately as well. You know, was constantly doing damage control with her family, uh, you know, trying to smooth things over when, when Kanye would tweet something or do something that he probably shouldn't have tweeted. And, you know, so he realizes that a lot of the blame for, you know, and it takes two with any marriage, but a lot of the blame is his and he understands that and realizes that. Wow
0: uh is there any i mean because people are still saying like well we've been saying they're divorcing all of this is there any hope of reconciliation you guys at this point i think
3: my oh, know, go ahead go i was, ahead, was just now, gonna
2: then. say and i think steve you have a lot more insight into this too but i was gonna say it says a lot that kim posted zero for valentine's day and kanye mm. is a huge over-the-top Boom. romantic like pull out all his stops so, yeah, I mean, Steve, I'm curious what you think.
3: Basically, sources are saying that, that it would take a miracle for this to come back together. That being said, Kanye believes in miracles. So, you know, uh, there hasn't been a filing yet. From what we hear, it's going to happen. Um, so everybody's just kind of waiting until that, uh, that eventually does happen.
0: Are we going to see all this devolve
2: on the show? We know the last
0: season's coming up. Is, is it going to be the Kim and Kanye show?
2: We are hearing that, um, you know, from, from our Keeping Up sources that a lot of this was filmed. It's the same when Chloe and Lamar were breaking up and, or the Chloe and Tristan, you know, scandal. It's all caught on camera and, um, you know, they, they have a very heavy hand in what's shown. And so I'm sure what we see is what Kim is comfortable with sharing. But I can't imagine they would not put this on, on the show. It's a big part of her life.
0: Wow. All right. Well, you guys, thank you so much for taking me through all of this news. It's heavy, but it's so interesting. So I appreciate it. Next up, Dr. Ayla Stanford on vaccinating the Black community in the middle of this pandemic. Stay tuned. Here at People, we're in the midst of celebrating our Black History Month issue. And also, we recently launched the Why I'm Getting Vaccinated series with stars speaking out about their reasoning for getting the COVID-19 vaccine, of course, to help in the deadly spread of this virus that's changed all of our lives. But for many in the Black community, which has been disproportionately affected by COVID-19, there exists a lot of skepticism, even fears surrounding the vaccine. A recent CNN poll states that 31 percent of Black Americans have stated they will not get the vaccine. And and that's despite, you know, the fact that Black people make up nearly 16 percent of known COVID deaths, according to recent research. So I will tell you, even in my family, my own family, our group texts, there have been heated debates over the vaccine and and a lot of differing opinions are split generationally. So I'm joined now with Dr. Ayla Stanford, a celebrated pediatric surgeon out of Philadelphia, who is the founder and CEO of Black Doctors COVID-19 Consortium. And she's going to help explain and assuage some of these fears and and provide her expertise. And she's actually doing the work right now at a vaccination site. Ayla, how are you? I am so wonderful. Thanks for having me, Janine. Thank you so much for being on. So just just some background. We, we actually thought of doing this segment after I did an interview with um, actress Angela Bassett. And we got to talking about the vaccine and she made this great point about how, you know, for many in her generation, they want to know that the vaccine is supported by Black doctors who have the Black community's best interests at heart. So is that in its essence
1: why you created Black Doctors COVID-19 Consortium? Absolutely. And because now being a doctor for, two decades, when I heard the statistics about African-Americans being diagnosed and dying at rates two to three times white Americans, I was like, I'm not gonna be part of this story. I need to change the narrative because I knew there had to be, that there is uh, a challenge with an untrustworthy medical system because of experiences that black people have had in this country. And I wanted to connote a level of trust in the name. So, by calling us Black Doctors COVID 19 Consortium, we were saying that we, as Black healthcare professionals, value your life. You can't get a test, you can't start your contact tracing because all of the testing is in affluent white neighborhoods. So, we are coming to you.
0: So, what are Just for those who do not know, and and this is Black history as well, like what are those major hurdles, those those experiments, those memories that are still stored within the Black community that would create these fears, that would create these
1: apprehensions? So first, there is a doctor, a Dr. Sims, who is this applauded obstetrics and gynecological physician who performed multiple procedures on slave women without their consent, without anesthesia, to perfect the operation on white women. And people lost their lives, women lost their fertility and multiple things. And he just went to another woman, went to another woman until he perfected the operation. That was first. Then everyone remembers the Tuskegee syphilis study, where even though there was a cure for syphilis, it was withheld from black men and that led to tertiary syphilis it led to death and many other conditions in the black community in many ways broke up the black family then in philadelphia there was holmesburg prison where black men prisoners experiments were done on them right at university of pennsylvania one of our great universities and this was in the 70s it wasn't even forever ago then There's Henrietta Lack and the HPV cells. And there's been all of these diseases that have been cured and that have been studied from using her cells. And the family was not initially acknowledged nor compensated, not even informed for that. So we're here with coronavirus. And you know that African-Americans are dying disproportionately. And everyone started this narrative. It's because they're not healthy and all these things, and in essence, blaming the patient. Meanwhile, I'm having my friends reach out to me who are affluent Black people that can't get a coronavirus test in the city of Philadelphia. And we learned that most of the testing was in affluent white neighborhoods. And so the only thing we had in our toolbox was testing and contact tracing. The test was $150 And I wasn't going to have people die for a test that was basically like going out to eat for a nice dinner. And so I absorbed all the costs in the beginning from this so that people would at least have an opportunity to get the treatment they needed and at least have the opportunity not to spread it to their family, not to spread it to the community, because so many of us were face front employees. And and so how how do you see
0: your your efforts paying off? Like where we are now um, with sure. vaccinations, and and how your work is affecting the Black community and actually because there's disparities there as well, correct? In terms of even getting the vaccination,
1: there are. But I you know the CNN poll, and I don't know how long ago that was. Mm-hmm. We also had a psychometric tool or a survey that we yeah. put out with 800 African Americans and. 43 percent of them, and this was back in October, said mm-hmm. that they would take the vaccine if it was available today. And a lot of that correlated with if you had known someone who was seriously ill or yeah. died from coronavirus. And for most African-Americans, that's one in two people. And I believe that's why so many have decided to take uh The coronavirus vaccine. And honestly, when many of our staff started to receive the vaccine, I think that changed some people's minds and at least initiated the conversation. Um, Because I had people say to me daily, Doc, when you tell me it's safe to take it, I'll take it. I think that was certainly the beginning. And so as soon as I could get my hands on the vaccine to give in the community, we have done that, and now we are at about 10,000 people we vaccinated since we started four weeks ago. The majority of whom are African American. So, the hesitancy that people talk about, I'm not seeing it. That's amazing.
0: So, 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 uh, Dr. Stanford, what do I tell? My family members, I mean, some of them. Uh, what do I tell auntie to, like, you know, that's like, I, I don't know, I, you know, right. I don't trust that. Like, I, and it's not, and that's not to say that it's just Black Americans who have, you know, become skeptics of right. vaccinations. There's still and, folks uh, that
1: say it's a hoax, right? So here's the thing, there's not a one size fits all because the reason why some people don't want the vaccine, everybody's got a different reason. So there are some people, and I think these are the hardest, that say, you know what, that's just not what we do. Well, we don't do vaccines. And if you ask them to tell you, they can't. Then there are the people who are fearful um, because they don't know what the long-term effects are. And for those folks, I can tell you statistically, The chance of that happening is is greater than you winning the Powerball, meaning you'd have more likely a chance of winning the Powerball, and you know that's like one in a trillion something happening, than this uh, messenger RNA being incorporated into your genome. It's almost impossible to happen. And that's where faith steps in. Because there are certain questions like the long-term side effects that you're just not going to know the answers to. And then for the people who say, well, I don't want to be a guinea pig. Well, in the Moderna and the Pfizer study, 35,000 people were already, quote, guinea pigs, right? And about 9% of them were African-American. And so someone already assumed the greatest risk by taking it. So you wouldn't have to. And back when all those things were happening, there were not physicians in positions of power of color like we are now. So my eyes are wide open. Okay. And you've got some well-intentioned people who are not black that just ethically and morally would not allow that to happen. You know, a lot of people, it's either lack of education or fear, and sometimes the fear can be allayed with knowledge, and sometimes it just takes time. I mean, I've had both doses of my vaccine. I'm still here. (laughs) Most of my staff have. I'm glad that I have because I want to be protected so I can be out here in the community taking care of folks, and I don't regret it. Nice. So... Those are some of the things I might share. That that's that's amazing. Thank you. You have <laughs> given me ammo. I love good, it. <laughs> good,
0: good, good, good. I appreciate it. So just a couple before I lose you, I know you're busy and you have people out there waiting. Um just a, uh, some some rapid fire. When do you see? I know I know we have no idea, but there's so many different um dates for when the population will be vaccinated. Um, what are you seeing being on the front lines of, of how
1: this is progressing for the entire country? I mean So here, we're definitely using up our weekly allocation. So I don't know. I I feel like based on hearing reports that people are running out of vaccine, that the interest is still very high. And I just hope that we always have vaccine to give to people. Right now, I've heard end of August that everybody should be vaccinated based, based on the production rates. I think that's very promising. You know, as they say, I'll believe it when I see it. But that's what the numbers are pointing to now, August. That was Dr. Ayla Stanford. For more
0: stories from People's Why I'm Getting Vaccinated series, head over to People.com. Before you go, something that's related to all of this and that will make you smile. 90-year-old Fran Goldman of Seattle wasn't going to let a few miles and a winter storm get in the way of her COVID-19 vaccination appointment. And for good reason. Listen here.
1: I will be able to spend more time with my family. I'll be able to pick up my great-grandson and hold him.
0: She walked three whole miles in the snow to get vaccinated. I swear, a grandmother's love knows no bounds. Stay well and talk to you guys tomorrow.